All right. So Thomas, how are you? I'm doing great. I am uh, glad that it's Friday. And yes. uh, yeah, glad that it's Friday. I don't, I don't actually work right now because I'm in graduate oh. school, but oh, wow. uh, Fridays are usually a long day for me. This was a short day, so I'm feeling nice and mellow. Right on. Yeah, um, same. It's been, my job has gotten really crazy over the last couple months. And so when it's Friday, I am like, okay, this is the farthest point from Monday. <laughs> and I'm like loving it. So I feel yeah. you there. So this has been my sort of fun unwind from work Friday, hang out with friends and be goofy and um, nice. Yeah, it's nice. So you're going to graduate school. So what are you studying? I am uh, getting my PsyD, which is the more clinical version of a PhD in clinical psychology. So it's oh, similar wow. to a PhD, but there's one less year of research um, and more, uh, well, about the same number of what are called clinical hours, which are me doing psychotherapy mostly. Um, wow. And so I'm going to be a psychotherapist. <gasps> and um, You could fix me. I would love to fix you. I would we, love we're not you supposed to fix, to fix anyone, too. but of course I want to fix everyone. That's why I'm doing oh, it. Oh, wow. Wow. That is fascinating. Wow. Could I pick your brain about a lot of stuff? You also can learn to celebrate. Like a lot of it is, is learning to be there with them. So, um, but yeah, so that's, I'm actually entering, I mean, I'm finishing my fourth year. It's actually a total of a four-year program, but I'm taking five years because I just didn't, I, I started so late in life anyway that I figured, eh, what does it matter? What's another 16. year, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so um, I'm going wow. to uh, Reno uh, to work in their counseling program at the beginning of August. And that'll be my last year will be the, will be spent offsite wow. there. So that's exciting. That is seriously awesome. Seriously. That's like, you can really genuinely help people. That's um, fantastic. That's why, I, yeah, that's why I got into it. I was, because I had been writing for a long time and I was at the point where I was sort of, I was surviving writing. It was unstable, but it was pretty, it was pretty solid. I mean, I was getting an okay income writing, um, but I felt like I just ran out of steam and I wasn't, mm. I wasn't connecting with people and I really wanted to do something um, that had me connecting one-on-one -on -one with people and ideally helping them. Although I'm not under the illusion that I can necessarily always help everybody, but sure. you just, you just try, you know, just to give them a shot, just light one candle. And I, and so I really wanted to do that. And I've been, I've been teaching sex ed for like 25 years as a volunteer at a wow. no, nonprofit in San Francisco. And um, we have a lot because of the nature of that program, which is um, sex education for people who want to be educators or um, healthcare professionals. Um, the uh, the program sees a lot of people who are in um, who are in therapy programs. So a lot of them were what we call baby therapists. They're either you know in school to be a therapist or they're just out of school and doing their hours. And so I knew that I kind of connected with those people and was really interested in what they do. Um, and really to do any kind of kind of sex ed or sex counseling, sex therapy, um, mostly you, you lean toward getting a psychology degree or a mm. master's in family therapy, a marriage and family therapy certificate. So, um, so I knew I wanted to do that and that's kind of how I got into it. Wow. Wow. That's really fascinating. So 
because when I think of sex education, I think of awkward fifth grade sitting in a class in a classroom. Yes. So were you training people to do that or were you doing actual sex education? So that was so we covered all sorts of um, all sorts of ages that you would talk to. I would say we weren't very focused on children. Most sex ed is focused on children and adolescents. Um, mm. Most kind of curriculum design within sex ed. Um, yeah. But the pro the the nonprofit that I worked for, which is kind of on hold right now, I don't I don't know what its future is going to be. But it was called San Francisco Sex Information, um, and it was a nonprofit phone line, so people would answer the phone, oh, so anybody okay. could call. So okay. kids did call in, but ninety percent, ninety plus percent of our callers were adults, and really? um, yeah, and so it was so that was the majority of people were people who wanted to be therapists, people who wanted to be um, uh, therapists, social workers, stuff like that. Um, but the person who was one of the real movers and shakers in that curriculum redesign in the last 10 years, um, who unfortunately just passed away, rest oh, in peace, no. was named um, Evie. And she was um, uh, a, a, the chief, I think, believe she was the supervision of school education for Planned Parenthood in Northern California, which was a program where they, she would supervise a bunch of, um, of, of educators who would go into schools and oh. do um, sort of sex positive, body positive, um, consent positive um, training with, awesome. with like a, a very, it definitely like probably would have a hard time existing anywhere but Northern California, yeah, but, right. um, you know, but was not, but was like all inclusive, was very um, age appropriate, uh, was really well designed. And that was really cool. So that really, to tell you the truth, if you're going to teach adults about sex ed, you're better off looking at how a really effective program for kids and adolescents is, because they have yeah. many of the same questions, because a lot of people just sure. don't get a real good sex ed. Of course yeah, not. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I mean, I just remember being like awkward and like learning the names of body parts and that was pretty much the, the extent of it. Yeah. And then uh, being horrified by all of it. And I remember my mom tried to talk to me one time about something and I was just like, nope, walked out of the room. So, yeah. I mean, I think most people's education is like trial and error and yeah. locker room talk with, you know, not to bring up locker room talk, but um yeah <laughs> but well, you know just of, sort of word yeah. of mouth like you know and, and most of it's probably completely unrealistic and you know I, I mean I think that the like a lot of people's education is probably like porn which is completely yeah. <laughs> completely right. unrealistic right. you know what I mean so and like nobody yeah. knows how their body parts actually work or what they even are and like you know right know. everyone expects them to function the way they do in porn, you know, and like not to not to be down on written porn, but like if they're reading porn novels, it's not right. necessarily any better because the because no. the, the you know physically there's maybe not as much physical cueing as far as body image and expectations, right. but there certainly is a lot of stuff that's not very likely. It's not necessarily socially likely, like even how you you know how seduction works you know? right and you're more you maybe you're more yeah exactly maybe you're more likely to learn that from a romance novel than you are from right. a porn movie but um, even that's not, unrealistic you know, though because yeah. life's not like a romance novel so exactly yeah yeah, yeah. unless it's so. the ones i write 
Exactly. I'm just kidding. Well, you know, good romance, that's the thing is good romance novels have compelling characters and good porn has compelling characters too. So ideally, you know, if you, if you are really, uh, if you're really accepting it as fantasy and as fiction, mm. then, um, you know, there is something to learn from, from any kind of stuff. I mean, I've written, I wrote erotica for years and oh. love to go back to it, but, um, but you know, my, the intention is not to necessarily create something that's a blueprint for uh, behavior. But sometimes right. it is. Sometimes you know, I would do stuff that was, I would write stories that were very specifically about you know characters I cared about having mm -hmm. a good time. And you know, they um, sure. there's nothing nothing wrong with uh, uh, people kind of imitating that that behavior. You know, sure. consensual consensual uh, negotiation and yeah, stuff I think, like that. I, I think the unrealistic part of it is that you know, typically in like the, the classic romance novel is okay there's a little bit of tension in the beginning and then everything's perfect by the end of the book and then yeah. you know like the whole unrealistic uh prince charming and like the perfect girl and you know that's completely unrealistic and nobody's yeah. nobody can live up to those damn standards you know what i mean and so right. i think a lot of, i think a lot of people go through life like you know like maybe a guy wants his girl his his girl to be like or whatever to be like a porn star and then the girl wants her the man to be like you know prince charming or whatever yeah. and like the, neither one of those things is fair is pretty is remotely accurate generally speaking so the yeah. um the famous uh the famous hollywood rule about the romantic comedy is that um formula of a romantic comedy is that in the first act there is no way in hell these two people are going to get together. That is the last person on earth that either of these people wants to be with. Right. And then by the end, of course, they're together. Right. And um, that's fine. That's a compel that creates a compelling story it's, for yeah, the same reason. Yeah, it's a fun reason. story. Yeah. You know, in in you know in uh, Act One of a Marvel movie, you don't even know who's attacking. You know, Shield, and you don't even right. know. Where are we going to find? Oh my God, this is an insurmountable challenge. Right. So that's the romantic comedy equivalent sure. of that. Is this? I'll never be with that person. Right. Um, but the problem is that people learn that in real life and internalize that, and so yeah. it means they're more. <laughs> I, I do think that it lends itself to people being more likely to think, "Oh, I'm with this person that I hate, who's really terrible to me." But this is just, you know, this is just the formula. This is how it works. Yeah, you know, yeah. we just got to struggle. You got to fight for for uh, love. You have to fight right. for relationships. Um, marriages work. <laughs> you know, all right. this stuff. Yeah. And you know, on a on a certain level, some of that may be true sometimes, but a lot of times people uh, think it's more true than it really is, and they end up staying with people yeah. they shouldn't. Right. And like, I think you know obviously you learn by example also so if you're if you come from a family that had like a an unhealthy dynamic you think that's normal and then at some point maybe you go oh my gosh you mean I could be with somebody that I actually like and get along with like what a weird concept that would be <laughs> you know yeah like I don't have to fight all the time or like have, be like tense all the time like yeah what, a, what an odd revelation i guess it, that should seem to be common sense but you know yeah. it's however yeah, you're trained true. yeah yeah interesting yeah i had no yeah. idea that was that very you... true early in life you know yeah 
I had no idea that the this was um, the stuff that you do. Like I, I purposely try not to like do a whole lot of digging on people and stuff for for these things because I want conversation to be natural. Like I want to go in dumb, and I want mm. the person to explain it all or whatever, yeah. whatever they want to talk about and then however the conversation evolves it evolves yeah so i really even though i didn't know what we were going to talk about necessarily yeah and i think it's uh this is super interesting yeah if people um, search my name on amazon they'll mostly find uh horror a certain amount of horror and a, a whole lot of porn <laughs> a, a whole lot of erotica erotica okay. really like yeah oriented toward you know oriented toward couples i worked with um a writer named Allison Tyler for a lot of years, Violet Blue, who wrote um, the two really big books in oral sex about uh, 15 years ago. Um, uh, I worked with a lot. And um, so, um, yeah. Wow, so, that's so cool. I, yeah. But I left it, but when about five years ago, I just ran out of steam. I just like lost interest. Yeah. <laughs> like, can't, yeah, I can't really get back into writing. So I figured I'd do something else for a while. and see what i what i wanted That's to come cool, back to though yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's not like you know there's a time limit if you feel like writing 15 years from now you can yeah. always pick yeah. it back up or whatever um and i'm still yeah. a huge fan i still love uh horror movies and and um sci-fi and fantasy um crime especially i love crime noir i, I love noir movies from the 50s um yeah. so i still i'm still a big fan that's cool I admittedly know very little about, um, well, a lot, most things, but um, I'm not like a porn person. I don't, mm -hmm. I, to me, it's like goofy. Yeah. <laughs> it, that, but I, I also, I have like a repressed Midwestern sure. thing going on, <laughs> Yeah. you know? So, and again, it's probably like upbringing and what you're exposed to and and yeah. just being awkward in general. I'm like completely awkward in general, so. Well, it's the, the visual, you know, video porn is, um, yeah, is goofy, can, can be very, very goofy. Mm. And if you can learn to like appreciate its language, it's sort of different. But the thing, the place where I think visual porn is really important is in representation. Because I do have some friends, being from San Francisco, I have friends who do queer porn and they do a lot of stuff that's like a lot of gender queer porn, a lot of like gender radical porn um, and trans porn. And it's like, you know, trans porn made by trans people and, and trans friendly people right, is so like really important. Yeah, exactly. So it's really right. The, the intention is to sort of make this collective thing. And they end up being very small companies, but, you know, there's a real hunger for that kind of stuff. And it's really important just in terms of getting representation out there for, for what um, these kind of, uh, you know, these kind of bodies look like sure. in real life and, and not, you know, not in the porn that's made to fetishize them, but the exactly. porn that's made and it's to not represent like them. Like not exploitive of, exactly. I think, I think all people have a right to like, be ex like, should be exposed to different types of people so that you can see we're all basically the same exact yeah people. exactly the um the yeah so shout out to uh to uh the one that i love is the crash pad series which is shine louise houston multiple award winning um within the porn industry and and is like just a very sex positive very gender inclusive um sort of small scale production but really really well done um yeah. and um 
Courtney Trouble also makes a lot of cool stuff. I think it's I think Trouble Films is her organization. They're all in in uh, San, San Francisco, California in general, um, mostly. But they're not. You won't find. You won't usually find them in mainstream porn sources. But um, mm. but that's so. It's like underground music. You have to hunt for it. Exactly. You've probably <laughs> never heard of them. <laughs> I have not. Well, I have. Like I again, I don't know anything about it because it's just not my thing. Yeah. Um, no offense to anybody else. Do no. you? Yeah. It's just not my. It's just not my thing. So I like yeah. literally know nothing about any of it. Um, yeah. So this is really interesting to me. Yeah, I learned mostly, most of that stuff I, I learned because I work, not because I write erotica, but because I worked at uh, Good Vibrations, um, which is, a, I don't know if you know Good Vibrations, but they're the um, famous uh, women-owned vibrator store in um, San Francisco, a sex toy store. <laughs> oh, that's interesting and, um, that you worked there. Yeah, they, well, it, they had grown really quickly. So at the time that I worked, there were about a hundred people working for the company. And um, so I worked there for about four years and um, met a lot of really great people. And unfortunately, they at the time, they were uh, employee owned, actually. They were entirely owned by their employees because uh, the founder, Joni Blank, had been a real activist as far as like labor, uh, labor rights and labor relations. And, um, and so right. she made it so that when she sold the company, she wanted to get out. She sold it to the employees. And so every so anybody who worked there for more than a year uh, had to buy into the company, and you became an you became an uh, owner. Oh, um, cool. But then they ran into financial trouble about three four years after I left. So I think about two thousand ten or two thousand eight, they um, they they ended up having to sell to a large company. So mm -hmm. I don't know who owns them now, but they're still operating. So that's good news. So you you're going to school to be a psychotherapist. Do you specialize in sort of like sexual? Yeah, whatever you um, want to call it. Probably, probably I'll um, end up specializing in couples. So I don't actually know that I'm going to specialize that much in sexuality, other than that if you're a couples therapist, you automatically specialize you to some to. degree. <laughs> yeah, to some degree. But um, at the same time, though, like the work that I've done with couples remarkably not about sex <laughs> less less about sex than i thought it would be yeah. and more about like who does the dishes and who's you know who who's who communication communication who's bitchy when they get home from work um who's you know who's who um flirted with their ex-boyfriend at a party you know just like really um you know the the stuff Typical. that yeah stuff that's really challenging um, and yeah. it's it's often really hard to work on, and it's a, it's actually many times harder to work on than um, than the sexual stuff. Yeah. So that's what I've found. I could see that. Well, I could. I feel like if um, all of that stuff gets sort of worked out, the other will also work probably itself. <laughs> Maybe it, it will. It will. <laughs> I would say that if if everything's going well. Um, working on and all things being equal assuming neither partner has you know like a medical problem that's that's making right. it really difficult to feel desire or to engage in um, physical activity um, but assuming that's not present then really like um, you may need to put work into it but it's not as much work if you are getting along it's, it's yeah like you kind of want to get a, like if you don't really want somebody to touch you if you don't like them <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. 
Definitely. So, you know, maybe like the person and then the other thing will work itself out a little bit better. Definitely. Yeah. That, so have you ever, it's, I, cause I can, I imagine with some couples, it's probably like they want the therapist to side with them. Yes, there's definitely that. Um, and um, that's really like, that's something you learn as a couple of therapists. You have to make it really clear that you're not there decide with yeah, anyone like to pick sides <laughs> exactly um and it's really hard not to sometimes because sometimes um Bet. it's really difficult to see one one partner's point of view sometimes they're just being a fool <laughs> they're just really yeah so how do you like how do you do that delicately like how do you tell the whoever's the wrong one like they're wrong without well, you focus on them off. you focus on feelings. So you're so if the if the one partner is angry at the other partner for doing something, and um, this partner says, you know, I what did I do wrong? What I did was totally reasonable. It doesn't really matter that you, as the therapist, think that what they did wasn't reasonable. Mm. The important thing is that the other partner was hurt by it, and right, so right, right. because that's really that the only uh, only way for a relationship to be functional is when the person who who did the hurting is can hear that they did the hurting yeah that makes and sense. that's what's important that, that's what's important it's not necessarily i did the right thing i'm in the right you deserve to be hurt because you don't want your partner to be hurt ideally right so i mean and if you're angry at them that's different i mean you can you can ex certainly express anger so we all do things that make sure. another person angry but saying I'm really angry at you because you did this oh, no. thing. It's kind of incompatible with, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work. Like saying, I mean, you can say that, but not, I'm sorry. I actually said it wrong. It's not that saying that is incompatible, saying that and holding on to it. So I'm really right, angry right. at you. I'm going to continue being angry at you because you were a bastard with right. this thing you did. You know, that couple doesn't then have an easy time going to bed and, and being happy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, just in general, uh, if somebody's genuinely sorry for something and then the partner keeps throwing it in their face, you can also only apologize so many times. Yeah, right. Either the person has to decide to forgive you and let it go or yeah, exactly. say goodbye or whatever. But yeah, yeah that it's... must be really hard to navigate yeah it's it's less hard it, you know so i was very surprised one of the reasons i gravitated toward couples therapy i didn't think that was going to be my area even though i'd studied sexuality for so many years but like once i started working with couples i i actually found it a lot less work than working with individuals hmm. a lot more like there it has its own challenges but um it's really the couple does so much of the work themselves and oftentimes i mean in my experience they really want to they're there because they really want to do the work. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't go unless you really wanted to fix things, you know. And that's something I would think about individuals, but a lot of individuals seem to come to um, individual therapy. And in my experience are, it's not that they don't want to do the work, but they don't really, they're not enthusiastic about it. I think it's really hard for us to, um, as a society, to, to um, sanction self-care. So people, sure. people have a really hard time getting over the message that they should be sad, you know, that they should be miserable. Um, and I think that's really hard for people. Whereas um, 
that's one of the things being in a couple does is that you form a team and so yes. you're standing on two feet you know yeah that's and true so, that's true yeah i i definitely i mean i i can speak from my own experience um i definitely prefer being in a team environment just because you kind of can put yourself aside and then yeah. you're like this united front against whatever drama you're facing as yeah. opposed to when you're on your own you're just kind of like stuck in your own yeah stuff. that's that's why i think that you know I, I mean i'm a big fan of being single if it's appropriate for people um i think that's i think nobody should feel that they have to be in a relationship i agree um, and um and certainly there are some people who are asexual or aromantic sure. and they they partner in different ways that don't that aren't necessarily something right. um, that we would recognize you know that like i would traditional personally yeah. yeah not not necessarily traditional but um uh but at the same time it's like uh having a partner is is predictive for long life and sure. i think that's one reason is just i mean for one thing it's because you're more likely to call 911 if you are of having chest pains in your home and you have a partner to reality check it with. So that's some of mm. it, that, that's just, that's just practical. <laughs> it's just the yeah. practicality of, of long life of, of, especially as you get older. But um, it's also, uh, I think, because you've got, you've got this sense of getting support where you need it. Um, yeah. But being in a negative relationship, of course, is, is you know, right, leads to all sorts sure. of problems. So. Yeah. I feel like, Okay, so Mike and I have been together since 93 or something, 94, mm -hmm. and I, like, I know about as much about a human being as I can know, Yeah. and I feel like we've put so much time into, like, knowing each other that mm -hmm. if something were to happen, I don't want to go there, you know, with the worst case scenario or whatever, I just feel like I wouldn't have the energy to put, to do that again. <laughs> You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like I feel yeah. like I would just be like, okay, I'm alone now. I have my son, and yeah. I don't have I don't have the energy to like invest that much of my mental, yeah. and emotional being into something else again. I don't know. I mean, of course, yeah. it's easy to say that when I haven't been single since like 1991 or something. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, I just, I, like, I have, you know, I have friends who are single and like, it's like they torture themselves over it. Mm -hmm. Like there's some timeline that you're supposed to like have met or, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm just like, but you're so awesome. Like you have yeah. all, like you're, you're every second of your day is yours. You can do whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do it. But like, again, it's easy for me to say that because. I haven't yeah. been in that position in uh, since I was a kid, essentially. <laughs> yeah, but, it's yeah. so and it's so hard too as you get older because, um, you know, friends friends will drop off the map. You know, maybe yeah. they get married and have kids. I've had friends who had kids, and once once they have kids, you can count on it's unless hard. unless you're going to do a lot of babysitting, which is definitely <laughs> one option. But you can count or be on two, uncle. Exactly. Yeah, you can be like. You can count on two, three, four, five years where they're not as available, you know, and you it's may hard. reconnect, but, um, but it's, it's difficult. So you, as a, as somebody who's single, you do kind of progress toward a state of being more alone or you spend periods of time where you're more alone. You really have to work yeah. to maintain friendships. Um, yeah. But adult friendships are so important for all the reasons that relationships are a predictor of totally. long-term mental health. 
um, you know, being in, in adult friendships can be just as much. For so. sure. Like, you know, everybody, I mean, I hope everybody has the, at least one person where they can kind of go to, to like unload things on. And like, am I, like, I have a couple friends where if I'm feeling a certain way about something or stressed out about something or whatever, I like to say, okay, am I being realistic with my, you know, I need you to tell me if I'm being ridiculous or not with yeah. what I'm stressed out about, you know? Right. So I feel like even if you don't have like a romantic relationship, as long as you have like that in somebody, yeah. you know, you're good. I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and again, some people just don't want a romantic relationship. Sure. For some people, it's just not something they experience or they don't experience totally. it in the same way. Because right. people who are aromantic or asexual may have long-term partners. They just right. have, you know, they they maybe have a different language for, for yeah. what their love is it's, like. You know? And there's nothing wrong. I mean, there's completely nothing wrong. Like, I can see the appeal of that, you know? Yeah, definitely. I can totally definitely. see the appeal of that. I think that's cool. I think yeah. people should just, that's the thing that is irritating because like, you know, a lot of, especially like, well, I'm sure this happens to men too, but a lot of like women, uh, as they start to get older, there's all this like pressure of, or, you know, are you going to have a kid? Are you going to be married? Yeah. You know, or, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, for the longest time I wasn't, I didn't want to have kids. I just, it wasn't my thing. I, yeah. kids, kids freak me out, whatever. And then one day it just didn't scare me anymore. So I'm like, okay, it's fine. But I have friends that have zero desire to have children. And it's like, that's fine. Like, yeah, you shouldn't have anybody trying to browbeat you into bringing a human being into the world. Like, that's really yeah. weird, you know? Yeah, and it needs to be normalized. Like getting married. Yeah, for sure. Like, not everybody has to have children. Like, I don't know. But, but on the flip side of that is I do have a lot of friends also who were like negative towards people who do want to have yeah. the traditional like family situation. So it's like, I think, I mean, as it, as it always says, just don't be a dick to other people. Let people yeah. live their lives. <laughs> right. You know, if you don't want to have kids, don't have them, but don't be a jerk to the people that do and vice versa. So, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, the universal just don't be a dick, I think is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good it's a good uh, rule of thumb, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, I really, I can't understand that whole judgy thing that people do with everybody else. Like, really, the only people I get judgmental towards are people who are assholes. Like, actively, right. actively hateful to other human beings. Like, that I'll judge. But as far as, like, how you want to live your life or whatever, as long as you're not hurting anybody... Who's, yeah. how's it anyone's business, you know? Yeah, that's what I always, I w always wonder about a lot of people who get um, really worked up about um, things like, uh, like issues around trans people using right. such and such bathrooms. I mean, by which I mean, trans people should be able to use whatever bathroom is appropriate sure. for them. And, sure. and yet people get these phantom ideas about, about, right. you know, like JK Rowling's um, obsession with the idea that predators are going to be going into women's bathrooms or stuff like that. And I just think like, why, so ridiculous. why are you making the world more complicated than it really is? If you just met some people who, who you know, who have that experience and right. talk to them like, like human beings, you would understand that this is very different than what you think it is. Absolutely. You just I don't mean, understand it. Yeah. And, and, and there's like this fear of the unknown, I guess, 
I guess. You know, and I, you know, okay, I'm I'm the mother of a little yeah. boy. He's nine, and I'm not afraid of a trans person at all. I am nervous about oh. him around men. <laughs> yeah. Because. You know, I mean, and, and it, it's, again, it's not just men. Women do horrible yeah. things also. I'm well aware of right. this. But, you know, typically you're not going to have to worry about your kid being molested by a trans person. The, like that the, right. doesn't so, happen. So, yeah, not not to be, I mean, I hate, I hate to be sexist towards cis men, but demographically sure. you're much more likely to be in trouble. And I think, I think that's something that women learn very early that cis since men don't learn. I mean, you learn it as a child. And yeah, I don't think that cis, I don't think cis men learn that. And I don't think they respect it with women. And so when, when women voice that concern, cis men often respond with, well, but not all men, you know, not, but well, not me, I'm not like that. And that's fine, of course. Sure. But at the same time, if you're walking down the street alone, and you're feeling threatened, you don't give a damn if it's all men. You give a damn whether you feel threatened. That's and, right. You know, that's as long as people are aware, you know, of of what's going on in their radar, you know, sometimes that's for good reasons. And I, I know too many women who have had, you know, incidents where they were preyed upon to sure. think that this isn't something that is is a survival mechanism. And, you know, yeah. taking it personally is just you know, is just ridiculous. You know? Yeah. And I mean, even like, I mean, little girls are taught, like, don't sit on that uncle's lap. I mean, right. these are just things that you're yeah, taught, like, don't rather than, than challenging the uncle's behavior and saying, well, wow, that's really creepy what you did. Don't exactly. Do that. Exactly. I mean, even, you know, we all, we all know, like, don't put yourself in certain position. Like it's always, it's always like, it's always blamed on the girl. It always has been, even as a little kid. It's like, you know, I can re I can remember being picked on by a certain boy and being told, "Oh, he just likes you." What a fucking yeah, thing right. to teach a kid. Okay, right. so so now as a little child, you're training me that if a guy's mean to me, that means he likes me. Like, what yeah. kind of a weird thing is that to teach people? <laughs> so weird. Yeah. It's awful. And then you know, back to the whole like. A danger thing um when a few years ago Dirk was four I believe four or five we drove from Arizona to Ohio and then to Michigan and back home we drove up there to visit our families and we stopped at this truck stop and Mike took Dirk in to use to the to use the bathroom and there was this older like truck drivery looking guy just hanging out in the bathroom like white like wetting himself down in the sink kind of like cleaning up or whatever and you know mike looks like an older guy at the time he had like a big white beard and he looked more i guess grandpa-y or something like mm -hmm. that i don't know and so he took dirk in to go to the bathroom and when he came out that guy started talking to dirk mm -hmm. and it was like this very creepy almost like like definitely predatory like mm -hmm. almost like he thought mike maybe was also like that or something like didn't and oh Mike, wow well first of all let me just say that guy was this close to getting his teeth kicked down his throat yeah I bet. He, like yeah. he kept trying to talk to dirk and mike's like back the fuck off like it was really scary and it's like yeah. who knows how many like i mean you hear stories about people sort of like in yeah. truck stops preying on people and like who knows you know what 
goes on in these things or whatever but yeah. it's like am i worried about a trans dude doing that no, no. or like a no. trans, you know i, I mean I, that's just but i do you know typically yeah. you hear the stories about you know priests and and again i'm not right. generalizing but no but it's the people society gives power to who are most likely to abuse it right right exactly yeah yeah i don't know it's just scary and then again, like you said, a lot of times it's like kind of blown off, like, oh, you're being dramatic or it's not all of us. Like, well, nobody said it was, but right. if you do the statistics and look at the math, right. <laughs> you know, right, right. And it's, it does, it's just a resistance on the part of cis men to like take responsibility for their actions, responsibility for cis men's actions. Cause I don't, I'm not going to do something like that, but when women say, oh, men are trash, I know that they're shorthanding a lot right. of men are trash. Some men are trash. You know, it's not right. all men. Doesn't mean me. I don't take it personally. Exactly. exactly. It's about frustration. It's about needing to about be able a type to shorthand. Of yeah, it's yeah. about a and, type of person. Yeah. And needing to be able to express that feeling and right. not be held to it. Well, is that literally true? All men constantly, every single man <laughs> right. in the world, like not right. being not being held to that because that's not what the expression's about. Right. The expression is about frustration about anger you know yeah and you know and even there's a lot of weird pressures put on little boys too it's i mean things that you hear don't cry like a girl like stop acting like a little girl and like stop throwing yeah. like a girl and you know boys are supposed to be tough and they're not supposed to show their emotions and i remember um you know like when dirk was two he wanted a, a doll they had dolls at daycare. They played with dolls and we, we got them a doll or whatever. And I can remember that when I was little, my cousin, um, who's a boy had a doll and how it was like the talk of the family. Oh, he plays with dolls. Like, Oh, so do you, you don't want your kid to learn how to nature nurture a child? Like you would your daughter, like what's, you know, and so there's all this weird. And so I'm not like, I'm definitely, I love men. I love women. I love all things in between and another. It, it's, it's just sad. I think the conditioning that's put on women and the conditioning that's put on men and people aren't held accountable for bad behavior. And it's just created this mess of awfulness, I guess. Yeah. You know? It's weird how dolls, men, boys liking dolls is taboo, but uh, liking action figures is fine. I was obsessed with action figures. I love my Star Wars action figures when I was a kid. I wish I'd saved them. I'm sure they'd be worth yes. a lot of money now. But um, oh man, yeah. I used to love those. Oh my god, there's Han Solo and Luke Skywalker with the extending lightsaber. Yeah, so, so phallic, so Freudian. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's so stupid too, because even like I, you know. Oh, boys don't wear purple or boys don't wear pink. Yeah. And I'm like, how is a color a gender? Like Dirk for his school pictures, I took him to the store. I'm like, pick out whatever you want. And he picked out this pink hoodie. And I'm yeah. like, it looked he looked great. Like it, it, it he yeah. looked so good and it brought out his blue in his eyes and all this stuff. And you know, like my mom commented, she she was like, I just love how how boys now and men wear more colors than just brown and gray and yeah. whatever and i'm thinking how ridiculous that like the time that she grew up in if a guy wore like a pink shirt holy crap you know yeah and it, yeah. so at least we've come a little bit 
far. It's from funny that, though. But... It's it's funny that you say that because I uh, it must just be I don't know how old you are, but I'm 53, and so I'm I close. was I entered high school in um, 1983, fall of 1983, mm-hmm. and so I was like in high school at the height of the um, Don Johnson was on in Miami Vice. Um, all the all the new wave bands were wearing like oh Makeup. I used to love these. I had this this cap sleeve, um, thick uh, stripe uh, with a with a what do you call it a banker's collar little um, that fit me so tight, and I would wear it with a skinny tie with piano keys. Oh my god! So like, and it was pink, and then the tie would be would be like red. And um, yeah. oh, so it was so funny. The new, you know, new wave, I guess, saved me from um, from gender police, at least as far as uh, as color goes. I never, I never really got into wearing makeup, um, but uh, that was like British humor. But I did get my ear pierced, and um, I wore a but lot which of. Year, which ears. year did you get it in? Remember that, that was a whole one, thing. Yes, that, that was a whole thing because if you got it in this <laughs> one. You were supposedly gay, unless yeah. you were in Canada, and then that meant you were an English nobleman. Like you could just do, you could decide you were an English nobleman again. Oh my god! So, uh, so anyway, yes, and um, yeah, but I wore a lot of pink in those years, boy. Yes, yeah. I remember like pastel peach and like yeah. teal. Yeah. <laughs> and the so at least the, we've graduated from that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's yeah, but it was interesting because it was so. Um, I mean, there was, I look back on the, the new wave era and um, well, it wasn't just new wave. It was metal too. They were yeah. wearing like just caked on makeup and not like kiss makeup, but like, like a girl, girl makeup. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, poison D Snyder. I mean, D Snyder looked like a, you know, a, I mean, he just, it was crazy. And, um, and then in new wave, you look at a flock of seagulls, Duran Duran. Duran Duran. I mean, they were all. All the new romantics. I think we got. Yeah. Yeah. You see, yeah, right. All of them, the cars, all of them were so with these, the pompadours and the, um, you know, like Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel were the only ones wearing, uh, uh, you know, the only white guys wearing uh, no makeup, you know? Yeah. um, yeah, yeah, it's funny too because I grew up, you know, I grew up in rural Ohio, so it was very um, traditional. And I remember when, like, I never judged people though. Like, I just, I, that's just not in my nature. I mean, I was more of a dick back then than I am now. But you know, you you grow and you learn. Yeah. Um, but I remember, like, the first thing that I really truly fell in love with was Robert Smith. Yeah. And it never phased me that he wore lipstick. Like it didn't even, it wasn't yeah. like male, female, like it never phased me or anything. And I, I think how weird that must be to, to like normal people or whatever. Yeah. But I, I just never saw any of that as being strange or like Bowie or like none of that right. seemed strange to me. But I imagine right. like to normal people, that must have been like, Holy cow. Well, yeah. thinking, thinking back on it, I'm just amazed how much of it there was because my high yeah. school was so homophobic. Yes. And, and they, you know, they're, um, I remember there was a woman who was a lesbian who was in my senior class and I saw her at a gay bar my um, senior year. We were both 17 
and there was this gay gay bar here long since passed i won't name any names but people who live in sacramento will remember it and um we and we i went there with friends and um she called me aside and said like hey are you queer and i was like no i'm just open-minded and she was like well i am but don't tell anyone because i yeah. just got a bunch of shit for it and i'm joining the army after graduation and oh. she was terrified and apparently yeah. she had gotten a bunch of of shit for being gay at school and um she was terrified oh. that it was gonna jeopardize her entering the military because back then you sure. couldn't do that so and until recently um, sure. you know, That's so, awful. um you know so it's weird to me thinking about how you know we lived in this world where um where that was the predominant fashion statement and yet you know there was all this homophobia yeah yeah because a lot of the guy like i'm sure it was the same in your school like you know if any any of the men who were like different or like not on the football team or whatever it's like they would always call people fags or whatever yeah. you know that was the that was like that was the worst insult you could throw at a guy you know yeah. so like any of the kids that that i went to school with who were like skaters or into like alternative music or whatever that's what they got called constantly but yeah. yet these guys who were calling them that all liked motley crew and like <laughs> yep I see row and like Alice Cooper and I'm like these dudes are prettier than most of the girls at this right. school like what what I don't get it <laughs> that's right Alice Cooper I forgot about Alice Cooper being the pre predecessor of a lot of them even sure even more than Bowie because his look was so much more extreme you know right in terms of fashion sure uh, I hadn't thought about that but yeah what well, yeah and they all loved they all loved those people even yeah. the because um, I had a bunch of Hesher friends who were who hated Motley Crue because they were fags, <laughs> and um, but uh, loved. Um, <laughs> Meanwhile, those well, dudes got more pussy than any. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, and, and but they loved D. Snyder. I don't know why. And they loved Alice Cooper. Um, they loved it. Aerosmith. You know, they loved they loved the classic rock. Molly Crew were Aerosmith. just too pretty, man. They, it, it made them feel so funny in their pants because yeah, Nikki Six exactly. was so beautiful that it made them feel funny feelings. That's what that's, so. that's what happened there. Exactly, yeah. I the guarantee first, you that's the problem. The first, I'm just remembering the first Christian death album I got, I looked at the back and realized I had absolutely no idea what gender any of these people were. That was really funny. That was yeah, about 1985, yeah. Cause it was, you know, Christian, I think it was only Theater of Pain and the, the um, pictures, cause they all had, you know, names that were gender ambiguous too, like Roz, Roz Williams. Right. And um, they were all, you know, wearing a lot, awful lot of makeup. So that was, uh, yeah. I guess, I guess I could say that New Wave Goth and uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show saved me from being uh, homophobic or transphobic. Yeah. I just never cared. Yeah. Like who, who cares? I don't know. Cause like you, you know, we used to go to the gay bars over in Akron because they played the best music. Totally. And it was fun and yeah. you know I, I mean some of my friends were gay of course but you know i wasn't or whatever and we just went and had fun because it was the best place to go to have fun yeah right yeah. that's why yeah that's that's i mean gay bars played great music and yes. um it was the only the only place that would that i could get in as an underage mm -hmm. 
did. I mean, I was, I'm amazed that they let me in. They don't let, I don't think that happens now. <laughs> but back then, probably not. You know, for all, for all the mothers against drunk driving and stuff, it, um, you know, they, they let it slide, I guess. Yeah. So you it's know, still I think, go ahead. I was just going to say, it still amazes me that I was able to do that. But it was a great experience. And of course, I was too terrified to actually drink. So I didn't, yeah. or didn't go up to the bar and order a drink. So I went into this bar, 17 years old, and just hung out there. Sure. Yeah. I think that, I think how, in some ways, probably they, that's such a safe haven for people who didn't have a safe haven anywhere else. So in some ways, I'm like, it kind of, kind of was rude of like us straight people or whatever to come in there and like sort of take over their environment or something but I mean obviously we weren't taking it over because we were supportive and our you know some of my friends were also gay or whatever but I think like what you said about how you saw your the girl from school and how that probably terrified her yeah you know like what if you what if you were going to go to school and like rat her out or whatever? Right. And I, I'm sure like the beauty of those places is that people can be free to be themselves without worrying about stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And then I think about how, especially for teenagers and even now, what a terrifying thing to have to hide something so big to you, you know? That's yeah. just awful. It really is, yeah and um That's sad yeah it, it, it really is and it i know that like uh a lot of times when somebody whenever somebody who's who's a teenager who's queer or trans commits suicide or or something you know everybody everybody feels those of us who are sort of you know either a little bit older a little more liberal or more in control of our lives think oh it's such a shame if they just waited a few years you know, if they just understood that there's a whole community like them, yeah. you know, that they, they have these resources they can access. But when you're locked in that cycle of self-blame and you're yeah. afraid that you're going to be spend the rest of your life alone and despised. And I mean, I, I don't uh. I don't mean to make it sound like I'm not overstating it for humor, but it's like the 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 thinking is not necessarily rational but right. it seems very rational at the time right and it, it can be so real that it, it just leads people to take radical it action it just makes me so sad like that's so tragic to me to think of like because i mean obviously in for different reasons but as a teenager just like i think most of us are pretty miserable as teenagers anyway and yeah. then just the thought of knowing like like you said, like, just wait a couple years. It gets better, I promise you. And to yeah. think that somebody so young just gave up, like, no, nah, I don't want to say they gave up, but just yeah. they were so close to potential right. freedom and happiness. And then, you know what I mean? Like, right. that's so freaking sad. Well, and the unfortunate truth is that, like, it's not necessarily that easy for everyone because a lot of sure. people do like if they don't have, you know, if they're not able to stick with school, find a job that they like. Right. A support system. Or accepting a support system. If they're, they have a hard time making friends, they may find themselves just as miserable in 10 Oh, years. that makes me so sad. You know, it's really, that's the thing is that like, um, and that's, you know, that's why it's really important to have this like 
you know, the media representation that we're seeing, like uh, Pose, you know, that won so many awards. Um, I don't know if you know the, the show Pose. Uh, I don't. Oh, I Great show. It. It's a great show on Netflix. It's about um, uh, the, um, the ballroom scene in um, Manhattan in uh, the 80s. Um, oh, interesting. Um, the uh, earning um, it's about drag queens in the in the 80s drag queens and transgender performers both um, back then there was not a firm line I think between um, and anyway so the show suppose so is the show and it's got all um, all the people who are uh, trans characters are portrayed by trans performers and um, it's it's incredibly like the the number of famous trans people in media went like you know tripled overnight because <laughs> because of this yeah. show because there were so many people who had um who had been kind of you know cast as trans performers and also this is also um they're primarily black and latina um so it's you know even more you know uh, even more of a solid representation for people who weren't being seen so like that's so important because it shows people that you know, even if even, you know, these characters are not well off, they're not wealthy, you know, but they're but they are living their lives and they're they have a support system. And that stuff's just really important. Even if yeah. kids can't watch that, even if like a 15 year old at home in a transphobic or homophobic family is not necessarily gonna be able to watch that show. But just knowing it exists, it exists you know, right. reading, reading in People magazine that somebody won an award for for being in a show like that, right. you know, or, I mean, that's the way it was. You know, if you were taboo, you know, it was taboo to read the story of O. You know, when I was when I was young, and you know, when I finally got to read it, I was like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, it was like a little disappointing, but yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like, like you said, it's like, at least if they know it exists out there, at least they can maybe strive that yeah. once I'm out of school, I can yeah. get there, you know, I can like, that's a goal to get out of here and go to there, you know, kind of thing. I mean, yeah. it's sort of similar. I mean, I think a lot of people go through that, like, whatever you're being bullied for or whatever yeah. kind of depressing situation you are in if yeah. you can sort of find that path like if i get through this here i can get to there yeah you know and it's just so sad to me to think there's i mean anybody but especially like young kids who are just brand new to the world and just yeah. starting out to think that they've already reach the conclusion that this is it and this is as yeah. good as it's going to get and I can't deal with it. That's so hard. Like I can't, as a mother, the thought of that just yeah. devastates me. You know? Yeah, it's, it's really upsetting. It's really yeah. upsetting. Um, but hey, that's why people like you exist. Exactly. That's the, the um, so I was lucky enough to spend uh, about a year and a half interning at her uh, practicum is what we call it but being doing therapy at the gender health center in sacramento which is a, a, a really great organization um that uh was set up um by and for trans people um to um to, to offer free therapy to anybody you don't have to be um trans to get therapy there um but it's uh, oriented toward the lgbt plus community and um it uh and it was a great experience. So I worked with a lot of trans clients and it was, it was really wonderful. Great learning experience for me. And, um, 
in a, uh, I felt like I was really offering a lot of great resources. Um, so. Well, and I just think that if somebody, regardless of their age or whatever, is like struggling with anything, anything really, just yeah. knowing like there's someone like you who like, I can feel that you just don't judge people. Like you, you come across as someone who just, Hey man, live your life, you know? And I think that having somebody like that could be the difference between somebody killing themselves and someone trucking on another day. You know what I mean? I think that it's so important, you know? And I mean, I hope that if there's anybody around me, young or old or whatever, who, I mean, I would hope that I could do that to somebody yeah. to help them truck on another day, but. Yeah, I mean, being involved so in music, important. I think is a great, a great path for that because it is, um, you know, it's a universal language. It's something, yeah. if you put yourself out there as somebody who's um, accepting and, you know, has this music group who finds music, and they're um, more likely to sort of like listen to your opinions and, and take some comfort with that, you know. So they have the sense that they're people with accepting views. Yeah, and I feel like music itself can sort of be a therapy, you know. I mean, that's not a deep insight. Everybody knows that. You know, if you're feeling a certain way and you listen to a certain type of music, it obviously has an effect on you. Yeah. So I think... I mean, I, I've had people tell, you know, we've gotten emails and stuff from people saying, you know, the music helped them through a really dark time in their life. And yeah. this, and I can't, I can't even say how that makes me feel because it's such a bizarre thing, first of all, that something yeah. that you do sort of in the privacy of your own home about whatever your own thing is yeah, could have such an impact on somebody else like that's bizarre enough you know yeah yeah but to know that somebody was like because you know we've all been there in those depths of despair and found our own sort of thing and to know that we helped in any way through that is like hugely i don't know the word flattering i don't know not it's not flattering it's um sobering it's touching yeah it just there's no word for it really it just to know that somebody was in that moment and so down and they were able to find at least a little bit of comfort in something that we created yeah is, it makes me feel good that okay that was worth putting you know going through all of this <laughs> with yeah. music or whatever that uh you know, you did something right for somebody, you know? Yeah, right. Well, that, yeah, and that's, that's, um, I mean, <clears throat> that's the whole purpose, you know, music has served. It's, it's connecting, you know, connecting, yeah, sure. connecting communities. I mean, whole communities. If you look at, if you look at like a community, you know, drum circle in, in Africa, it's like the whole community comes together to do, and they're all dancing and they're all yeah. drumming. There'll be like 30 drummers. And, um, it really is about about sort of creating connection. Um, and yeah. now that we have, now that we have you know um, the technology to make individualized music at the level where one person can be, you know, I, I think uh, most of uh, the first two Nine Inch Nails albums were recorded, you know, just mostly by Trent 
if I'm not mistaken. I might be mixing them up with someone else. Anyway, a lot of albums were recorded by just one person. Sure. Mike is a prime example of that. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff, the connection can become so intimate and so personal. That's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I love that about music, too, is that, you know, Something that somebody writes means something very different to them than what it means to the person who's listening to it. Yeah. You know, and it could be, you could write something completely either really personal or just sort of silly even. Yeah. And depending on the mood of the person who hears it, they're going to interpret it through whatever lens they have. Yeah. And it has a completely different um, meaning to it. I think that's neat. Yeah, it's really, I love that about, about lyrics. Um, I think of David Byrne lyrics because I remember when I was, when I was like 17, like discovering Talking Heads and listening to the lyrics on uh, Stop Making Sense. And then later I went back and listened to their studio albums. And some of those lyrics are so perplexing. They're so weird and so hard yeah. to understand. And I would just read these meanings into them. And then now, you know, 30 years later, I go back and I'm like, Oh, he was just messing with us, <laughs> you know, and that other times, funny. I mean, there's songs like heaven, which I think are really straightforward, you know, um, really obvious, just so obvious. <laughs> um, but like psycho killer, you know, Kesko say, I can't even, I, you know, I can't even, I still don't even know what it's about. It's just, it's just a weird series of words that yeah. all create this, this portrait. That's not really, I don't know what it's about. And you know, sometimes the person that writes it don't really know what it's about either. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's true of a lot of songs. Yeah. The song I mean, writers, there's a yeah. lot of stuff I've written that I'm like, I don't fully understand what the meaning of this is. Yeah. But songwriters famously say, oh, I don't know what it's about. You know, like, um, like uh, Brian May famously keeps getting asked what uh, some of the lines, the weirder lines in Bohemian Rhapsody is about. And he says, I have no idea. <laughs> You'd have to ask Sometimes Freddie. words just fit together, too. I mean, like, literally. There, I remember um, there, was yeah. in, yeah. there was a line in there's a line in Hyreth that Mike goes, what is that about? And I'm like, that's just the words that came out. I don't know. Right. I don't know. And I'm sure there's a meaning to it someplace. And maybe at some point it'll make more sense to me. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know, like in writing poetry, that happens a lot too, where you're just kind of, I don't know, it's almost like being a medium in a way, like you're, you know, sometimes you do write very specifically, but sometimes you just kind of open up and whatever comes out, comes out. Like sometimes the music pulls certain words out and you go into yeah. something with certain intentions, but that's not what happens. Right. when you end up at the end of the day so it's really it is weird it's very weird yeah. i think of um there's a lou reed lyric in in andy's chest chest off of the album transformer uh curtains laced with diamonds dear for you and uh lester bangs who's a famous 70s 80s rock critic uh early 80s rock critic um just made fun of him mercilessly for that line because it just made no sense but it's a great line Curtains laced with diamonds dear for you. I don't know. Works for me. Yeah, I don't. I this is the problem I have with critics because I just like, and I won't do it to other people. Like, if somebody wants 
me to give an opinion on a, like a specific opinion on something i just won't do it because it's so subjective yeah it, there's no way of how can you judge somebody else's perspective you really yeah. can't so yeah. when somebody creates something you you're only judging it from your lens which is accurate or inaccurate but it's sort of irrelevant. Yeah. So if my opinion is only relevant to me, and sometimes that's questionable, whether it's relevant to me or not, but I just think it's funny that people get so like judgy towards whether it's movies, music, yeah. whatever. And it's like, you can't really judge somebody's, the creator's perspective on it. So why do you even try really? I don't know. I love, I, I do like, I will say that the kind of criticism that I really like is the kind that goes, for music at least, is the kind that goes back 20 years later and pieces the historical events together. Like I just watched um, the series on hip hop. You can get it on um, Netflix. It's a uh, hip hop generation, I think. And it, um, it's so good. It's four seasons. The, the guy who hosts it as a rapper not a, he's not a famous rapper, but he's 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 you know uh, a performer as well as a um, host, and he um, he goes around and he talks to all the historical figures who were behind the creation of hip hop from the early '70s into you know the people who did the first uh, basement parties. <coughs> Pardon me, there's my post-COVID syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and um, boy, he it's it's extensive and it's got some great stuff. And that's yeah, that good. Case where it's like, um, yeah, it's so it's so interesting to see the historical pieces fit together. And as somebody who didn't really follow that kind of music while it was happening, um, it's fascinating for me to recognize things happening in the news and think, oh, that's that's what that was. Yeah. And uh, that kind of historical, I love rock and roll history, and yeah. especially when you can really look at it such a heavily stylized form like hip-hop to be able to track uh different influences from decade to decade and year to year in some cases from month to month because they even go back and talk about the month you know particular month that a particular release dropped mm. uh, significant because certainly when you talk about tupac and biggie and all that those kind of events you know the month by month chronology is pretty fascinating yeah <laughs> that stuff i love i love that kind of criticism that historical, historical yeah i don't know to me that's more just um documenting um yeah what happened and not so much like critiquing style as far as like yeah. you know what i mean like talent and all that stuff but i yeah. don't know i think that people have this weird need to dissect everything yeah and it's usually from a negative perspective. Like they go into it looking for what they don't like as opposed to what they do. Are you having static on your side? Can you hear me? Um, yeah, I don't have any static. Okay, because there's like a weird electronic sound going on. I can still hear you, but I was just like, I wonder if that's on my side or it's on your side. Is that, how's that? Is that any better? I don't think I hear it now. No, it's still there. There's, a, it's like a weird Mothman prophecy, electronic, oh, that's <laughs> electronic, cool. electronic 
weirdness in the background and it just started oh interesting oh it's kind of kind of creeped out now that is pretty weird I don't i'm like is it saying things yeah i'm definitely not hearing anything that's really weird yeah i wonder if um yikes yeah you could try, you could try taking out my uh headset and seeing if it's on the phone itself i don't know it's almost like it's almost like picking up weird static and i'm like what would it be picking up static from though isn't that strange that is how does it sound now yeah let me see T keep talking okay are you still no, it's, uh, it's not there now so there your headphones maybe were picking up some weird otherworldly voices i don't know <laughs> But that's I couldn't. Weird. I couldn't hear him on my end. That's really strange. That's really. It must, weird. So it must have been the. It must have been the microphone. I wonder if yeah. somebody next door is playing with a Ouija that board. No. Oh it's my god. <laughs> Don't say that. No, that was really no, but it was really weird because um, like we watch a lot of like ghost adventures and stuff, and I'm like, yeah. if I start hearing freaking voices coming through there. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Scary. Um, have you ever seen the movie? Uh, oh, I think it's, I can't remember the name. Uh, never mind. I was about to recommend a horror movie that's really terrifying that was uh, made during, uh, um, that was made, it's a bunch of teenagers who are talking on the phone and they gra they're they having a group chat. Gradually, each of them gets murdered. Oh. It's really disturbing. But now I can't remember the name of the title, so I'll I'll think I'll see if I can find that. I I have this weird relationship with horror because I like scary stuff, but like I can't do slasher type stuff. Yeah. Um, and I can't do like those paranormal activity movies. Oh, we those went to are see, scary. I, I can't I can't do it, and I I can't watch The Exorcist. Exorcist. I've watched it once. Yeah. I can't watch, like, I just pictured her face and I get freaked out. The Exorcist is straight up terrifying, so you're not alone in not being able to watch that. I just, it's so scarily relatable to me that I can't watch it, and like, but I love, like, vampires, and like, I don't even consider that horror. Like, I don't consider, like, vampire movies horror, or like, yeah. I don't know. But I like, I guess, maybe classic like ghosts and stuff like that but i don't like any like violent slasher type stuff or yeah i'm too like... scared of real because those are real people like yes and that right. can really like that stuff can really happen so like friday the i don't 13th, like it yeah yeah i don't I, like um, that stuff i am uh yeah i really love um cl the classic you know william b castle 60s uh ghost movies the haunting is great i mean all those are so so good so beloved yeah. um the movie i was thinking of is called unfriended um and it's, i saw it's, that i didn't see really the movie tricky. but i've seen it advertised yeah. i think I, I think it might be on netflix it's probably on netflix yeah it i think you it might even be on youtube i'm not sure but it's really i must have watched it on netflix um if not netflix it's definitely on hulu it's or on prime one of or something yeah it's um, it's really cheesy, but it's I it scared the hell out of me. I think I watched it in the middle of the night when I was alone, and it was just scary. Yeah, sometimes stuff just hits you weird, like the ring. 
That yeah. movie scared me so bad. And like, but it wasn't the movie itself. It was, you know, the black and white images on the video in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm when, sorry, which movie? Um, the Ring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Those are scary. Yes. So after we watched that, like, it's a really good movie. But after we watched it, every single time I would shut my eyes, I could see the image of that tree. Oh, yeah. And, it, and I couldn't stop it from happening. Like, every time I would try to fall asleep, I would shut my eyes, I could see the image of that tree. And just like those weird, random black and white images that were like on the VHS tape in the movie kept replaying themselves. And then, of course, mm -hmm. you know, I've got really long hair. So this is so stupid, but I have, I had really super long black hair at the time. And I remember getting up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and we have this huge mirror, like over our double vanity or whatever. Mm -hmm. And just me walking towards the mirror to go to the bathroom with this long black hair. I got completely like, ah, freaked out and stuff. Wow. And and like with The Exorcist, I first saw The Exorcist, I think I was probably 19 years old. But at the time, like me and my friends did Ouija board and like all that. Oh, yeah. All that stuff. And so I watched that movie and like probably really didn't sleep for like two or three weeks. And wow. because like, again, every single time I would shut my eyes, I could see. Yeah. Just that pure evil look. And like. Yes. To this, and I hate to even talk about this because I'm always afraid it's going to trigger something, but yeah. like every once in a while I'll have dreams where one person in the dream, like everybody else thinks is normal, yeah. but they look at me and do one of these and I can see pure evil, like looking yeah. back at me and like they know that I know, yeah, and, but nobody else is aware. And so it, and it's purely demonic like it's completely demonic so the exorcist triggers some scary stuff in me and so i can't even like oh my god i just pictured her face again like i can't even <laughs> i can't yeah. even do it so every time i'm scrolling like instagram or whatever and like i have I follow a lot of horror people yeah. and like somebody will post her picture and i'm like ah like scroll by scroll by scroll by <laughs> so stupid but yeah and like uh slasher films again i'm just like that could really happen i yeah. will i will not go camping because i just yeah. there's killers in the woods i'm not doing yeah. it and yeah. like houses that are out as much as i would love to have a house like in the middle of nowhere all right. i can picture is some fucking psycho <laughs> showing up at you know what i mean like Right. And you're out in the middle of nowhere and you have nobody to help. So you're like, oh, this I is can't. a great idea. <laughs> Seemed yeah. like a great idea until the psycho showed up. Yeah, like I feel yeah. like if I had a house out in the middle of nowhere, I would have to like fortify it with like razor yeah. wire and like big ass mean dogs and yes. Have fire just cannons be or something. Yeah. <laughs> a moat. <laughs> so true. I so just true. can't. So, yeah. what else? So, you, what what else is on your mind? What do you want to talk about? So, I, so originally, my idea for this conversation was going to be about whether asking whether or not <clears throat> goth music was uh, uh, related or got you know whatever you want to call it goth, dark arts, uh, death rock. I grew up calling it death rock. 
uh, until about 1980, 1993 or so. And, uh, uh, but, you know, any kind of dark art, uh, does it have anything to do with depression? Is it related to mental health problems? And um, I found one study that actually came out in uh, May, uh, May 2020, and it was a study of um, uh, 940 uh, young adolescents, and it found that there was a correlation between an interest in goth music and more of a tendency toward depression. But it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was a um, that it was a, a, a causal. In other words, the mm. interest in music doesn't necessarily cause be cause the depression right but that the depression was a marker for or that i'm sorry goth music was a depression marker um so okay. it, so if you so in other words um so theoretically what that would mean is if somebody came into your to their therapist and said yeah i really like the cure or i really like i don't know that i'd even call the cure dark you know or goth i mean they're the cure is the cure sure. but this the has bands such as <laughs> This has bands such as The Cure and Susie the Banshees, which I think of as being like, well, yeah. Happy. <laughs> there's so much, right. There's so much like Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, you know, springs to mind as being an album with so much range on it, you know, yeah. for The Cure, you know, and, and you know. I mean, they have a song called me. Love Cats. Exactly, right. It's all, it's filled with like, uh, well, yeah, like the head on the door has some of the most danceable music right. I've ever heard. But, um, you know, but I think of as, you know, uh, I think of, I guess, bands like Joy Division, Lycia sure. being sure. one of them, you know, from that whole dark wave uh, sort of era in the 90s where there were so many great bands. And, um, uh, you know, I think of um, all of them and um, I think of them as being like, yeah, you can call them goth, but it's just so... Yeah. You know, just, it's more like dark, I guess. Yeah, there's definitely like a dark a dark element i mean i guess it's it's really the new the combination of the new romantic influence and like like uh kind of a shoegazer quality a little bit you know yeah um but uh but regardless though it's um uh it's it's you know they they did find a correlation here but the thing that i think is really interesting is this study um so there were 940 uh participants which is actually a pretty good number that's pretty robust number for a study like this, but it was among ten to fifteen year olds. So, like, how many how many ten year old goths do you know? I've known a few over the years, but not very many. I don't think I've ever known one that I can think of. There were always like the like uh, the the you know the child of of one of my punk friends who was sure. like you know the mom was still wearing a mohawk and the kid was like yeah I'm really into Joy Division yeah. you know it's like. Uh, you know, I don't so, know that that counts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're just an extension of your parents. I mean, at, at ten, I was listening to country music and like yeah. southern gospel. So, yeah. because that's what yeah, my parents exactly. do. So I don't know. Ten to fifteen year olds just seem so young. Whereas I think of most people that I know who are into anything dark arts, goth, horror, or any of that. You know, they're into it around you know 17 18 19 you know it develops starting sure. around 16 you know yeah sure but, you know or, I mean, or into their 50s like me right <laughs> well don't you think though that if you're sort of like whoever whatever your personality is that's the type of stuff you're drawn to 
So if yeah. you're sort of like a light bubbly person, you're going to probably listen to lighter pop music. If yeah. you're sort of a melancholy type person, you're probably going to be drawn to things that are a little more melancholy. Like I don't, but to me, it, that doesn't like heighten my sadness. It, it, if anything, it's like a weird comfort. So yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't. I, and I definitely like, I definitely don't think depressing music causes depression for sure. But yeah. I just think if you already are sort of that type of a person, you would be grab, you would naturally gravitate towards sort of more somber, whether it's classical music or like songs, uh, uh, old country songs about your dog yeah. running away and your wife leaving yeah. you. I mean, yeah, there's always <laughs> been darker music in every genre. There's dark rap music. There's dark country music. There's right. those dark. There's sad pop songs. So there's yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, the way that I would put it as a psychologist uh, or as a specifically as a, you know, if I were writing a scholarly paper about this would be that they're, they're both markers for something else. The both depression sure. and interest in this kind of music is a marker for like a more contemplative nature. Sure. Um, you're more likely, well, specifically that you're, it's not so much that you're more likely to experience depression if you're more contemplative, but you're more likely to report it. Uh, you're more likely to acknowledge it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's huge. I think that like, I think a lot of people who maybe listen to sort of darker music probably are a lot more introspective and maybe a lot more in touch with their actual feelings. I think a lot of people deny anything that makes them uncomfortable. So they're not going to sit around thinking about the state of the world and why it makes them sad. They're just going to like drink some beer and throw on some Skinner or something and like party yeah, as their right. way of dealing with it. As opposed to like people like us who might go, I'm going to sit in the dark and I'm going to listen to disintegration and yeah. think about how sad I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But yeah, I feel like, there's the type of people that are super in touch with their feelings and there's the type of people that prefer not to be and neither one of them is necessarily right or wrong, you know, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think of that first, I just think of that first song, I think it's called Plain Song on uh, Disintegration and it's just, it's such a mournful song. It's like so, it's like just so over the top. I love it this like song of like line in it it's cold it's cold if you're dead i'm so cold it's cold if you're dead so more so full of mourning and so like revealing as far as like yep yeah, that's you know well, that, it, that really hits us isn't the first line um i think it's dark and it feels like rain or uh, something it's dark and it feels like rain she said and it's all yeah. running out like it's the end of the world, she said. Yeah. And it's so cold. It's like the cold if you were dead. Yes. Right. <laughs> exactly. To me, when you're like 16-year-old me, that's exactly how I felt. Exactly, Like you're yeah. sitting in your house and you're just like, I don't know if nobody likes me and this and this and this. And Robert gets it, man. He just gets it. And like yeah. you sit and you sort of wallow in your misery, but it feels good in a weird, yes. demented way. Yeah, you especially, know? 
Yeah, well, especially when you have company. That's the thing. <laughs> you know, you've got the music, you've got yeah. company. <laughs> so, and, and, and really, like, we started this whole conversation with having somebody to relate to. Yeah. Sometimes that, the only thing you have is music and, like, or a movie or whatever. Yeah. And so I think... Um, I think a lot of people probably use music for that, you know? And then again, like when you're at a party in happy mood, like you're at a wedding, you're playing goofy Macarena and whatever stuff gets, I don't know. I haven't been to a wedding in a year, a decade, but you know, it's like, ah, I think it just makes sense that if you're, I don't know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I don't know. I think that, um, music just like everything else is super reflective of where you're at and your mentality and i mean i can remember sitting in my room listening to swans yeah and just being like i i love this so much yeah and then my mom going walking by my room and going it sounds like a dungeon in there Right. <laughs> so I was Sounds listening like, to like filth or something, and I'm just like, yeah. like I'm like wallowing in it, you know, like right. this is so brutal and it's so aggressive and it's so heavy. And then my mom's like, "Sounds like a dungeon in there." And I just, <laughs> it's just all about your perspective, man. Like, but yet she loves the Carpenters, and to me, that's the most right. depressing. That is scary. It's so depressing to me. It's like it disturbs me on a weird level. That music. I don't know. We're all different. Whenever, whenever my wife asks me to pick the music, she always says, "Can you pick something to play and not too goth?" (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't really have anything against goth music. She loves the Cure, but um, but it's just she knows that like left my own devices, I'd be like, you know, doom, despair, doom. But um. It's wallowing uh, time. <laughs> exactly. And the other the other day, uh, she uh, she was like, "Got too goth," and I'm like, "Is Switchblade Symphony too goth?" And she was like, "I don't know." So I played her Switchblade Symphony. It was a little too goth. Really? <laughs> I always like, felt like Switchblade Symphony was like Cindy Lauper. That's what it always reminded. Like, <laughs> it always felt like Cindy Lauper to me. Like that's like to yeah. me, their music was always super happy and like well, it's bouncing just, around it's at the club. Like, to me, it's like super fetishy. Like it's super like I can see we're, that. we're spooky witches. Woo. <laughs> we're gonna freak you yeah. out. Yeah. See, and to me that would that always felt like Cinder like goth Cindy Lauper-ish. Like yeah. I'm not being negative because I had like what two or three of their records. I don't know. But yeah. I just it always that to me is like yeah. the fun party version of goth. Yes. Whereas yeah. like Swans is like right. heavy. We're gonna feel yeah, some no, shit Swan- right now. <laughs> Swans is so dark that like you just literally feel like I, I feel like it's opening a like portal to another world that scares yeah. me. They're, they're, Swans is really dark. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It just I and I guess I've always just been more drawn to like I and I don't know why that is, but I'm super drawn to stuff that like it sort of becomes this whole atmosphere and you just kind of sit in the middle of it and like sink into it, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's there's room for everything because I also like stupid stuff. So, I mean, yeah. not to say stuff is stupid, but 
you know, there's a time and a place. Sometimes I want to listen to the Humpty Dance. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I want to listen to Blood and Honey by Swan. I mean, you know, there's, everything there's has like its a whole, place. There's like a whole episode on the, the hip-hop documentary series about the Humpty Dance. There's nice. Whole, and so I'm, I'm from Northern California. And so it's like, uh, it's really funny because that was, I had forgotten how huge that was, how big yeah. that era was in hip hop. Yeah. It's so funny because um, like when I was in high school was when that stuff was com- like popular, like um, yeah. that stuff and like Belle Biv DeVoe and like, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. And I hated it at the time because, right. you know, as a teenager, you really have to identify as something. Yeah. So I'm like, no, I'm a cure. Like I'm into the cure and I'm like dark and Mm -hmm. spooky and like punk and like all this stuff. And like this stuff is just childish and stupid. And like their lyrics mean nothing. And it's just throwaway garbage. And now as an adult, all it does is bring me back good memories. I'm like, throw on some poison by Belbiv DeVoe, some something by Cinderella. And it just makes me feel happy because it reminds me of being like a young, like a kid. Yeah, you know? I'm the same. I'm the same way about like um, I, I worked in uh, fast food restaurants in my in when I was in high school, and so like I heard "We Don't Need Another Hero" by Tina Turner so <laughs> many times. I just wanted to strangle somebody, and then yeah. like now I hear it, and I'm like, oh, that's a great song. Yeah. <laughs> really right. Great. There's, I mean, there's got to be a hundred other songs for that era, like all sorts of Holland Oates, even Duran Duran, who I hated at the time. Yeah. But, uh, but boy, they now Foreigner? Just, it's just. Oh my God, Foreigner mm-hmm. and like. Yeah, Foreigner. I hated Def Leppard too. Like I absolutely hated Def Leppard. But now I'm like, if I'm in the car and Def Leppard comes on, I'm like, this is like mint, and I turn. I'm yeah. always like, it's just, it's so, it's like happy music to me. It just makes me yeah. so happy. It's so yeah. It's weird how that happens because it just I, I don't know I don't have the baggage that I did back then. Exactly. I don't really and care. Like I, yeah. And yeah, I feel like when you're young too, it's like no, you got to be cool. You can't like anything that's not like like we're underground. We only like cool stuff. And now yeah. it's like, dude, don't take shit so seriously. Like right. you can listen to the most underground, deepest, darkest, whatever, obscure thing. And you can also listen to the Humpty Dance. Like it's okay. Yeah, totally. You're allowed to do both. You can you can enjoy them both equally on different levels. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. It's just like with television or movies. There's some days you want to watch something super serious and you know, really like you get a lot of it, get a lot emotionally out of it, and it's beautifully shot and all this stuff. And then there's days that you want to watch real housewives of wherever you know it's like i i feel like um some people take their lives so seriously that they don't allow themselves to just have those like goofy things yeah escape like it's pure escapism on a stupid different level than escapism on uh, you know on a pure artistic level so i think i think that it's probably keeps your sanity yeah to do both you know yeah definitely because you also don't like there's those other people that also refuse to go deep either you know like i know some people who they they everything is super surface level 
And anytime you try to have like a deep conversation with them, they don't want any part of it. They yeah. tune out. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about anything that makes them uncomfortable. They do the same thing with the, the music that they listen to. It's all top 40. Um, the TV shows they watch, it's, there's nothing uncomfortable about any of it. And that's fine. You do, you know, live your life how you want to live your life. I just can never imagine reaching that level of um, denial, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, life is dark. There's a lot of horrible things that happen to you personally, to your friends, to your family, in the world around you. And to just like walk through life pretending like none of that stuff exists to me is, I would rather feel it than not. I feel like they have to feel it. They just refuse to. Yeah. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. Maybe it makes it too real. Yeah. I think that's super unhealthy. I think that I would, you know, like I have a tendency, I'm super chill for the most part, but if something happens, I'll get really pissed off and angry, vent about it. And then it's gone. I'm gone. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm on to the next thing. And I don't know that that's necessarily healthy either. But at least it's not knotted up in my yeah. stomach and like swallow, keep swallowing it down and pretend it doesn't exist and you know whatever. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I don't think you can fix anything, and I'm sure you would agree with this. Yes. You can't, <laughs> you can't fix anything if you don't acknowledge that it exists. Yeah, you you gotta be you gotta be aware of it, and you gotta if you the more times you talk through something, the more uh, you're likely to see new you know you're likely to see the new perspective yeah you over something a hundred times in your head and then if you put it to words you know that's why writing is so valuable i think you know is that you can write something out and it really makes a different kind of sense yeah for sure yeah for sure or even just again having that one person to sort of yeah bounce it you off feel that you feel safe that you can tell them like what you're thinking even some of the really dark stuff sometimes you know and it's not always the person that it should be like yeah. sometimes different people serve different purposes yeah. in your life you know i think that um some people can't handle probably certain aspects of our personalities that other people can you know yeah right but I think, I don't know. Cause they're like, sometimes like I get really dark about stuff and I'm like, if I don't have somebody put me in check, it just gets dark, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. no, you're not dying of a brain tumor, Tara, please stop. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. happens. Like, I have those moments too. Yeah. It gets very like, you know, with the whole being artistic and stuff too, but you know, having to sort of fit into the mainstream world also because I have to work for a living and I spend way more time doing that about stuff I don't care about than stuff I'm actually passionate about. Like it gets very dark sometimes. Like, why am I even on this planet? You know, like, what is the point of all this? I'm doing all this stuff that nobody cares about and blah, 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 blah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there's a couple people in my life that'll go shut up. <laughs> yeah, 
people care about it, take it down a notch. And then, you know, but I'm like, whatever. And then move on with my life for a few days until it comes back up again. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I'm unloading all my stuff on you. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Don't let me get started on body dysmorphia. <laughs> oh man, that's a whole field. Yeah, that's not my field, but it sure is interesting. Boy. Yeah. 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 Interesting and tragic. Well, I need to take a take a break. If, okay. uh, are we are we wrapping up or do you wanna do you it's wanna up to you if you if you wanna keep going, we can keep going. If not, we can say goodbye here. How how long have we been talking? Uh, an hour and about an hour and a half. Yeah. Something like well, that. Let's call it a night. All right. Well, this Great. has been super interesting. I hope that you had fun. Yeah, it was a blast. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. I think this was a, I mean, you just have, you're a wealth of knowledge. So oh, thank you so much. That was fascinating. Right. Well, this was really fun. I'm glad to finally connect with you after years of, of following your, your Facebook and your work. So uh, good to meet you. Good to meet you too. And sincerely, thank you for what you do, because I feel oh, like you're saving you. lives and you're going to save even more. So thank you for that. And um, after we're done, send me any links that you want me to put in the YouTube. Oh, excellent. And I'll get this uploaded and I'll tag you and we'll be good to go. So excellent. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great night. Have a great you weekend. Too. Bye. Bye. Bye.